the Champions League returns today. We've got the matchups ready to preview, and we get our first round of Arsenal versus Manchester City in the Premier League. We'll get to that massive matchup and more today on the supporter section. Grab your scarves, we start right now. Welcome into the supporter section. I am Cole Carter and this is episode 57 of the supporter section podcast. Go ahead and leave a like and subscribe if you have not already because today is going to be a good episode. We want to welcome you in. I have my two good friends here with me today, Stephen Curl and Brandon Pacenick. Guys, it is the Tuesday after the Super Bowl and with a late field goal deciding the Super Bowl on Sunday, if you two had to place yourself in any late game heroic moment, what sport would it be in and why? Steven, I'll start with you first. Where would you put yourself in a clutch position? Oof. Um, I'll pick the sport that's caused me the most pain probably as a sports fan, which is American football. Um, I would love to lead a late game winning drive as a quarterback. Um, insert college pro, doesn't, I don't know, uh, but just the aspect of the late game winning drive because it's more than just one play. It feels like when you're on the receiving end of it, which I've been a lot uh, as a fan, uh, viewing my teams, Georgia and Atlanta Falcons. Uh, there's almost this sense of there's nothing you can do. This team is going to march down the field and beat you. Uh, and if I was a part of that, that would be awesome. Just to methodically take apart a defense and crush the Stevens on the other side of the ball. Um, I would, that's what I would probably choose. So late game winning drive. I mean, national championship, Super Bowl. I mean, enter the game there, but probably, uh, yeah, being the quarterback, leading my team down the, down the field would be awesome. Brandon, if you could lead your team in some late heroics, what would you be doing? I'm going to give a, a runner-up for me, and it's lacrosse over time. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but literally it is a face-off in the middle of the field. And whoever wins a face-off, basically, typically how it works out is it's a one-on-one -on -one with you and the keeper. You literally just sprint half the field, and it's a one-on-one. Um... It's sort of amazing. So if you've never seen that, go look it up. But I think the best would probably be maybe a, a college, like NCAA final March Madness, like game winning shot. Like I think uh, that would be, I don't know if I would ever have a bigger moment in my life if, if I were to do that. So that would probably give me the most chills watching it. And if I was actually doing it, yeah, that'd probably be the biggest ever. On a very recreational level, keep in mind, I've had experience in both baseball and soccer being a closer in baseball, closing out games, and then soccer playing goalkeeper in like PK shootouts. So both of those are really fun to be in, but I feel like if I'm like a world stage, like a big moment, I feel like it'd be more memorable to be that closing pitcher. The catcher's running to you after winning the World Series, like you're jumping in his arms, the world, uh, the, the stadium's going crazy. I feel like I, the closing pitcher got to have ice in your veins to get that done. That would be a really cool moment to take part in. But, um, you know, that's not going to happen for us. But it's fun to dream about. I like thinking about it. Uh, there are people this week that have come in clutch and have been performing at levels higher than everybody else, which means it's time to hand out some golden scarves. So, guys, let's get this thing going. Steven, a guy that's a bit 
you know, sad to talk about as Tottenham fans, but maybe someone that's been showing out lately is who? Yes, I'm going with Kelechi Ihinaccio, uh from Leicester. Absolutely bossed the game against uh, colonized side Spurs um, with a goal and assist. Uh, could have had a second assist, but it was chalked off for a very minor offsides. Um, but laid the ball off to Harvey Barnes on that second one, which ended up not counting. Uh, but he just looked good, looked confident, and a fantastic finish on uh, his first goal, or his only goal, uh, against Spurs. Just bent it right about Dyer and Fraser Foster in the corner. It was great. And I also like Inacio because I feel like he was the, the next big thing like five years ago. Um, yeah. And so I I enjoy seeing him do well, finally. Um not finally. He's he's had some great moments before. He's a good player for sure. But I like meaningful goals uh, for teams, um, and this puts Leicester six points above relegation, uh, which they were last in the league for like the first I think two months to start the year off. So um, it's fun to see. Not fun to see against uh, Tottenham for me personally. Um, but that's my golden scarf of the week. That's who I'm giving it out to. Ihinaccio from Leicester. Love it, Brandon. We talked about him a little bit last week, but Willian scores a beautiful goal on the weekend, and I just got, I have to give him praise. He he earns the scarf this week at 34 years old, coming back from Brazil, starting basically every week for Fulham now. He's looked like a new man, and it's been great to watch. In the Premier League this year, he ranks in the 90th percentile in shot-creating actions and progressive passes, 79th percentile in progressive carries, 75th percentile in pass completion, and 73rd percentile in expected assisted goals. He's a creator. He creates chances for his team, and that goal was just a flash of what he can still provide for this for this Fulham squad going forward. And that's probably why they're in, what is it, seventh now? I mean, they're just sticking in there, and they're absolutely amazing. So golden scarf to William this week. I love that. Great work, lads. For me, the man's who keeps scoring time and time again, this time with a header against Leeds on an assist from Luke Shaw. I'm talking about Marcus Rashford. Rash Beans has... 13 goals in 15 games since the World Cup and has Manchester United up to third in the Premier League table. He has been soaring and flying, and it is hard for me not to give him a golden scarf considering the form he has been in and leads us perfectly into our second segment of the day, looking at Premier League Match Week 23, which saw Manchester United and Leeds play twice in the span of a week. The first one being the match day eight reschedule. That one ended as a 2-2 thrilling draw. But the one we're going to look at is the second game in which David De Gea made his 400th Premier League appearance. And things got physical early as Ellen Road is a place that you do not want to go to. The fans are always bustling and always loud. Uh, this game certainly no different. Uh, but like I said, Marcus Rashford comes in hot. And it would take a long time for Manchester United to break down that Leeds defense. It was scrappy. There were moments of a little bit of um, not a little good, a little chippy here and there. Luke Ayling being a, a nuisance to the Manchester United team, uh, but Rashford gets a good look on goal when Luke Shaw puts a ball across the face of goal, allowing Marcus Rashford to jump in the air, put a beautiful header on it to get the goal. And then Garnacho, the young, what's he, 19, guys? The 19-year-old has looked really good on that left wing. Um, 
getting a a goal on the near post. Uh, Melier only getting a slight touch to it, but still hitting the inside of the bar. Um, really, really impressive goal from the young kid. Uh, but Manchester United are now only five points off of Arsenal, two behind rivals Manchester City. Have they earned the right, gentlemen, to become a real dark horse to win the league? Guys, thoughts on that? Mm, I'll jump in first. I think they're in the mix. I really do, and especially after we're going to get to it later, talking about this Manchester City-Arsenal matchup, but they're definitely in the mix if they can keep being consistent, and I think Ten Hag has gotten gotten them to that point. Um, they're really good. And with, with Rashford being basically like a new signing this year, he's so phenomenal. Garnacho, hopefully, you know, he's still young, so I'm not going to put too many expectations on him, but... Uh, earlier in the year, I had said he's going to be another Anthony Alanga. He's going to be another you-name-it kid that comes up, has a good half season, and then disappears the next year. Uh, I'm not seeing that slowing down for him. I think as long as he doesn't get his head turned by maybe a club in Spain or something, um, he can do a lot of good things for Manchester United and for them this season as well. So... Uh, Dark Horse might be too strong, but I definitely think they're an underdog to win the title. They're in the race for sure. Yeah, to me, um, I think they have earned the case of Dark Horse. I look at Manchester City playing Arsenal on Wednesday, and I look at Manchester United taking on Leicester City at the weekend. All good things for Manchester this week. Um I like Ten Hag. Ten Hag seems to have such a firm identity with this team. Um, yeah, I think they're a dark horse. Uh, Man City still have to play Arsenal, like I said, on Wednesday. And one more time, I believe, as well. So, um, really just takes with the United continuing form. Rashford scoring goals. And, hey, maybe you get a Maguire in form to actually have a new signing at center back. Basically, is that impact? Uh, finding himself in the starting 11 in this game. Um, so things are looking up for Manchester United. So I, I, I'm with Brandon still definitely outside looking in on the league behind, uh, Arsenal and Man City, but I mean, let's, this team is talented. Sabitzer coming in. Um, I think they added well at the transfer deadline. I can see this team making a surprise, uh, run at the end of the season. If they were to pull us off, Steven, does Eric Ten Hag get put into that Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp conversation of just geniuses of the game where he can now just be associated with winning, turning this Man U team that was abysmal and a laughingstock and everyone calling for the heads of the owners, all those things. Does Ten Hag get that labeled of genius if he can pull it off this season? Um, I think 100%. Uh, you know, a lot of people point towards the signings that they had this summer, $100 million on Antony, bringing in Casemiro, bringing in Varane. Um, however, Anthony has not really been a contributor to this team, um, if we're being honest. It's the Garnachos. It's the getting Rashford back in form after disciplining him. Um, letting Ronaldo walk from this team. Doubling down on your decisions. Really showing some balls, honestly. Um, coming into one of the most high-pressured jobs you could ever have in the Premier League with Manchester United. Is the club up for sale? Who are they selling to? Things just seem to bounce off this guy in his head tactically um, when coaching for Manchester United. So I think if there's a way that Manchester United wins the league this year, Tin Hog, I mean, 
we're talking about the Premier League title. Like, this is something that Man U has not done since under Sir Alex. This is this would be absolutely nutty and wild. Um, I, again, was looking back through the timeline, seeing Jose Mourinho talking about finishing second with this team is one of the most amazing achievements of all time. Um, so if Tin Hawk can take this team, kick out Ronaldo, and win the league in the same season... Yes, absolutely. Um, jumps up to that, in my opinion. No, that's a great opinion. Brandon, talking about Pep Guardiola, he just took on Aston Villa in a unfavorable matchup for the villains. What was the breakdown on that one? Yeah, not really much to say other than Manchester City was very good. Almost like they had a lot to prove on the day, which coming off the week of allegations, uh, I, I think they, they did. Um, and Villa didn't help their case at all, played like scared children. And if this was a rated R podcast, I'd probably be saying other words. Um, yeah, just completely outplayed and outcoached from the very first minute. Um, uh, I don't want to get into the game details because it doesn't really matter. They were up Man City was up 3 nothing at halftime. The game was over after the second goal because Man City goes up 2 nothing on you. You're not coming back. Um, I would actually love to look at the stats on that, but you're probably not coming back. <laughs> Definitely not Villa anyways, but I did learn uh, a, a few things. Um, Aston Villa will not make Europe this year. That seventh place spot I said I had hopes for mm. after not um, making um, – I don't want to say bad. They didn't make enough signings, enough um, good signings at the at the the January window to make a run this year. It's it's very clear now that we are going to be mid table, and I think eleventh or tenth is where we're going to end up. Um, but with that, our defensive performance was awful. Tyron Mings was hurt, and so we had Callum Chambers in there and Ezri Kansa. It became very clear we are going to drop a band on defense uh, on two, probably two defenders this summer, to be completely honest. And we need to. It's, it's way overdue. We came up with Ezri Kansa and Tyrone Mings. Actually, we might have bought, bought Ezri Kansa in the first year. But either way, it's it's really time if we want to keep moving up the table. I mean, it's one of the hardest things to do, especially in the Premier League. Need to invest. Um, so those defenders will be coming in the summer. But uh, John Duran, the MLS kid that we signed from Chicago Fire, I believe, has, uh, I believe, two appearances so far, um, substitute appearances, and he's looked pretty good. Um, this past time, hitting the crossbar on Man City with a great swivel shot. It was really, really nice, actually. Um, so he might be knocking on Leon Bailey's door for uh, for a start coming soon. Probably won't be next game. Um, other than that, I mean – Man City side of things, Holland did not score, which I was pretty surprised about the way Man City were just opening us up and basically toying with us the whole game. It wasn't fun. Um, but he did come off at halftime due to an apparent injury. So uh, I wonder if he will be ready for Wednesday against Arsenal. I'm assuming he will be because they took him off at halftime, but that's something to keep an eye on. Um, yeah, I do, I do have a question, though, for you two, and I'll start with Cole on this one. On paper, Manchester City arguably played their strongest squad against Villa, um, which is you know sort of interesting knowing that they play Arsenal in the middle of the week this week. Was Pep playing mind games with Arteta, or is he trying to just get his guys to focus after the previous week of accusations or something else? I mean, what do you make of, of this approach to the Villa game? 
Well, when you consider everything that just happened, right? They came off that loss to Tottenham, a 1-0 loss. And then you have all these allegations, the charges come against them. And we saw in some of the pregame, postgame interviews with the players, Pep, that they were actually pretty angry with this whole situation. Um, not mincing words. Um, Pep making references to Steven Gerrard slipping like, oh, is that our fault? Blah, blah, blah. And so him with this Villa game was not messing around. I think just in the sense that, yeah, he had a point to prove that they weren't just going to have, you know, the week take over their pro prospects of trying to win the Premier League title. So, yeah, we lost to Tottenham. We had these accusations. We're going to try and bury Villa in the ground if we can. And they succeeded in their goal. And I don't think it'll come at much expense, like you mentioned, Holland coming off. I don't think that should be... Um, any issue, especially moving forward to the Arsenal game and probably Champions League next week. Um, it seems like they'll be fine in the long term with that. And Pep, he's always playing mind games. Sometimes you wonder if he's getting rattled. Maybe underneath he's showing face that, you know, he might be rattled, but really he's, he's got on under control. So Pep is just always looking uh, a step ahead. And I think that this Villa game was just him proving a point that we are the Premier League champions and this is why. Um, we were champions this past year. Steve, what about you? Where do you land on the whole Pep thing? I mean, I think it comes from maybe some criticism of De Bruyne and Gundogan not starting against Tottenham. And I think you, I mean, you can't afford a, a slip up against Villa. You can't afford uh, a draw, really. Kind of feeds more into the narrative. So it needed a decisive win. Um, given the week of allegations, sure, but it's also poor performance against Tottenham. Um, the football side of things of Man City just did not do enough against Spurs. It wasn't a situation to where Tottenham barely won. They beat they beat Man City in a deserved result, so they needed to come out and uh, lay it on that next opponent. Unfortunately, that was Brandon's Aston Villa, and the league got a, a subtle reminder of how good this team is. Yeah, they did. They really did. Uh, a team that was looking for a reminder of their glory days, their former selves, came at the right time. I'm talking about Liverpool taking on Everton in a Merseyside derby. This was pretty much the game of the week as far as the matchup, what it means for both teams. Sean Dyche coming to Everton, trying to get them out of the relegation battle. Liverpool hanging and clinging on tightly to their European hopes. And it all came to a head in this one. We had Gakpo, Nunez, and Salah all start up top four at Liverpool. And Tarkovsky of Everton had a header in the 36th minute that actually beats Allison but goes off the far post. And in the same play, Liverpool counter quickly with Nunez showing his speed that he has, carrying that ball down the left side, who then finds Salah, who Pickford coming out of his goal gets beat by Mo Salah for the first goal in the game. In the 47th minute, right at the start of the second half, vintage Liverpool as Salah lays the ball off to Trent Alexander-Arnold, who finds Cody Gakpo unmarked at the back post for a tap-in. Everton really didn't show a whole lot the rest of the game, other than Pickford threatening Robertson in a team sequence of shows. Both guys are laughing, honestly, guys. they It happens. Pickford knows immediately what Andy Robertson's doing. They both kind of laugh about it. They both get yellow cards, warnings, whatever. Um, but it definitely was a derby. Uh, but the point of this whole thing being Liverpool, are they really back on track? Or was Everton really just begging to be scored on? Their defense looked a little shaky. Maybe a little Connor Cody uh, double agent playing in this one. I'm not totally sure on it. But Steven, for you, 
Uh, your views on Liverpool and are they really gearing up for a European run in the Premier League? Yeah, I think I'd be able to answer this question a lot more confidently if that Tarkovsky header went in um, and I got to see how Liverpool responded. I think that changes the game if Allison's beat right there. Uh, but I didn't see that. I saw Liverpool um, make Everton defenders run more probably than they ever have in any practice um, in their lives. Uh, it was fast break after fast break for Liverpool. Um, the front three, Gakpo, Nunes, and Salah, gelling together very well. Um, so I think the results, you know, 2-0, I'll, I'll believe it. Um, it's a much-needed win for Liverpool. And there's a lot of season left to go, and you're starting to see some people at the top, like Tottenham, um, start to waver. So let's not count this Liverpool team out yet, uh, especially if these front three can get gelled together. Uh, one more quick thing. Things that I noticed this game was uh, Robertson and Alexander-Arnold uh, vibing. Uh, Robertson making runs in the middle of the park, setting up goals. Uh, Trent going up, sending beautiful balls in. Um yeah, just remembering that they're top players. Um, so this is a much-needed uh, win for Liverpool. So we'll see if they can keep it going. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm starting to think they're back. I can appreciate that. Uh, Brandon, we're looking towards that next matchup of Week 24 between Arsenal and Man City. This one is a reschedule from Game Week 12. And the title race keeps getting tighter and tighter. Arsenal with their draw at Brentford at the Emirates. And Man City getting their, uh, handing it to Aston Villa 3-1. Um, Arsenal have that game in hand. Man City, though, is only three points behind. So this is really shaping up to be the biggest game of the year so far. We had a little preview matchup two weeks ago with the FA Cup when Man City beat Arsenal 1-0. But in the league... Arsenal have not beaten Man City since December 2021. Uh, sorry, December 21st, 2015. Uh, that was a 2-1 win with goals from Giroud, Theo Walcott, and two assists from a guy we all remember, Mesut Ozil. He's sort of fallen off the face of the planet. Um, so since then, there's been 13 games, Man City winning 11 of them. That is a lot. Uh, the biggest margin during that period was a 5-0 thrashing just last season. So, the two... The two teams that are coming up against each other are the two powerhouses and the Premier League. Um, we know all the things that are going on about them, but I'm really wondering, with the tight race, um, with Man City having a history of doing this before, is this the turn of the tide for the whole season if Man City win and Arsenal lose? As I said, City are known to go on massive runs when they have these title campaigns. Will this be yet another title surge, Brandon, if they can win on Wednesday? If Manchester City win, it is their title. It is. Um, I just don't know if they will. I mean, it's such. It's gonna be such a good game. I, but I think I think more of the pressure is on Arsenal in a weird way. Even though they're a top three points, it's it's a home game for Arsenal. They're gonna have to go away and play Manchester City again. At Manchester City, again, we talked about this last week. That empty hat is is not a amazing place to go. <laughs> like, it's it's a fine place. Their home crowd is not gonna really get on you that much. So you need to use your home field advantage to your advantage. And 
Um, if Arsenal lose this game, I think is how I want to phrase it. The title is Manchester City's. Um, you're right when when we say they go on this late season run or mid to late season run. It could start now. It might have just started with Villa. They could go and be in the rest of the, the Premier League season, Manchester City, and, and the title's theirs. So if, if Arsenal want to have their destiny in their hands, it's it starts. It's already started for them, but it starts at this Manchester City game. So massive matchup. I don't I don't know which way it's gonna go though. Yeah, and it's very familiar too. I wanna say last season. They lost to, was it three games last year or something like that? Two of them to Tottenham. And it was, they lost that game in January, February to Tottenham. And then that's when they went on their run. So it might be literally a one-to-one replication of what happened last season. Steven, what are your thoughts on if they're going to go on a run or give me a prediction of the game itself? Yeah. Um, I think Holland, this is, this game just spits Holland at me uh, on Wednesday I think he's going to show up. Um, if I'm a betting person on City or Arsenal, I mean, you got to go with the team of the recent titles, right? Um, the embarrassment of riches in which they have. The real question is, can a guy like Odegaard boss a game like De Bruyne? Like, you know, insert a million players here. That's There's a clear difference of talent. And so it's right now Arsenal's been playing up that talent. Uh, can they keep it up though? Um, I just don't think so. Uh, I'm with Brandon. I think if Manchester City win this game at Arsenal, oof, it's, it's, it's tough to bet against them. Um, predictions going into the game. I think it'll be a draw though. I don't think there will be, um, a winner out of this. I think Arsenal understand the, the stake of this game and I think they grind out a result. Um, but who knows? I say this now, and Arsenal could win three to one. So uh, up in the air, not really too sure. An important game nonetheless, and I can't wait for it. Brandon, are we in store for a draw, or is someone going to win this game? Um, someone is going to win this game, and Man- the history is on Manchester City side, like you like you laid out earlier. Um, <laughs> I I don't know, man. It just seems like. Manchester City have had their number, um, and Arteta hasn't beaten Pep yet. Um, I wonder what Pep's record is against people that have come under him or other like Bielsa type, uh, you know, people. I I always I always wonder what that looks like, but I think Pep will continue this run against Arteta and probably win. Um, I do think it'll be really close. I think Han will bag a goal. Sokka will definitely score. Um, it's not going to be some 0-0. I think it's going to be electric. Um, 3-2, uh, probably Man City. But it could be the other way, too. I just know it's going to be tight, and it's probably not going to be a draw. Yeah, definitely going to be a great game. Excited to see how this one turns out. We have another solid matchup that we have the 6th and 7th place teams. Brighton are, host, are hosting Fulham. Both sit on 35 points apiece. And they're only separated by their goal differential. Uh, in the previous five games in the Premier League, Brighton have not beaten Fulham. Fulham have won twice, 2-1, to 4-2. And there have been three draws. Two have been 0-0 and one 2-2 draw. Obviously, both teams are soaring, playing so well this season. 
Um, but in recent form, Brighton have edged out Fulham unbeaten in the last five with three wins and two draws. Uh, the money line has Brighton at negative 145, a draw at plus 300, and a Fulham win at plus 370. Um, guys, is the difference that big between these teams that are level on points as far as the odds go? Um, and that doesn't make any sense, does it? Uh, and then also, which of these teams are you guys actually buying to finish in a European play? Steven, I'll begin with you. Uh, does the money line make any sense, really? Ah, man, I think this is a product of Brighton just being in the news. Um, Potter moving to Chelsea, all the Brighton players being sold, the dramatic Matoma story. Uh, secretly, while Fulham is playing some really good football at the moment, uh, level on points like you said with Brighton. Um, if I had to pick two of these, uh, one of these two teams to finish in a European spot, I. Honestly, I, I, for some reason, I want to go Fulham. Uh, Brighton's just shed so much of this roster. I would be shocked and amazed if they continue the form that they've been on. Um, I would love for them to. Uh, but I think Brighton's the better team, but I just think Fulham is going to finish above them. I don't know. Got a gut. Um, but yeah, it's going to be an awesome matchup. I would hate to bet on this game, though, I will say, because it could go either way. These are two awesome teams. Um, great home atmospheres at both these grounds. So it's going to be awesome to see how these teams finish out throughout the rest of the way. Yeah. Well, Brandon, if you're putting your money, are you following the money line as far as how these teams are going to finish in European places? Or what do you think? Ah, uh, I know we said a couple weeks ago that I think Liverpool and Chelsea will still creep back into Europe somehow, and that means definitely knocking at least one of these people, one of these guys out. But I don't know, man. They right. they look better. Both of these teams look better than Fulham and Chelsea. I mean, both than Liverpool and Chelsea. Like, I don't know. I think they both have a great shot at, at making it. Um, Brighton, I think, would be my favorite so over Fulham. But this money line is awful. I think it must it has to be a product of of the news or something because Brian minus one four five. Are you kidding me? Um, it's not like the yeah. MX is someplace like hard to go play at unless I'm unless I don't know um, what I'm talking about. So it's it's not like this fortress you should be scared to go play at. Um, yeah, weird money line. Tough one to bet on, though, I will say. They're so close. The table usually doesn't line. I don't think it does in this case, being tied on points. Um, but I think it's going to be low scoring, if anything. Maybe a 2-1 win, one of one, one of the ways. <laughs> I, I could see that. Should we be expecting a low scoring affair, though, between Everton with 18 points, Leeds United on 19 points? These are the two clubs that are going right at each other on that relegation line. They've only played five times since Leeds came back up. Leeds' only win came in that first matchup 1-0. Since then, there's been two draws and two Everton wins. Steven, though, is Sean Dyche just licking his lips over the opportunity to face a Leeds side who plays with the energy that they want but just lacks that clinical edge? 
You know, I've been thinking about this. This is my game of the week, honestly, with Everton and Leeds. Um, caring a lot more about, the, I think, the relegation battle this year than the title. Um, Arsenal being at the top. But anyways, I don't really think so. I think Everton uh, got countered out the wazoo against Liverpool um, in the speed of Salah and Gakpo. Nunez really exposed this team. I think they could have lost by four goals, if I'm being honest. Um, which leads, you know... You criticize them, criticize their defense, rightfully so, but they're fast, you know, and they can run into space. And if Everton allows this much space against Leeds, they're going to be in trouble. I don't know if they will, um, but players like Somerville for Leeds looked great for me against Manchester United. Um, yeah, and to me, the most important factor in this game, not to sound like, uh, uh, you know, a pundit that's just played a ton of football is up in their old age. The grit, the determination, who wants it more? Uh, but this is a relegation battle between two teams of which Leeds sits directly in front of Everton. Both these teams, it's starting to get to the point of the season where it's going to get scrappy. It's going to get physical. Leeds um, always bringing a physical game wherever they play. Everton, game at home. Uh, will Sean Dyche's men stand up to the task? I, I just can't wait for it, honestly. It's going to be, I think, a great game um, filled with goals and maybe some pushing and shoving. Uh, but I think Ooh. Sean Dyche is weary of Leeds going into this game, and he cannot let his defense be put on their ass like they were against Liverpool. It was just grasping at straws against which Liverpool player wanted to get forward. So they better get that uh, drilled in and training this week, which I'm sure they will. Well, the real Everton, please stand up. Stand up. <laughs> um, on the Leeds side of things, though, as of recording right now, uh, let's not forget Leeds have yet to hire a new manager. Uh, that Since they sacked Jesse Marsh last Monday, it's been a whole week since they've had any discussion about managerial news. So, guys, what's the holdup? Uh, if anyone has any news on maybe who is the best manager they could even go after right now, I need some news on the lead side of things. Yeah, I'll jump in here. Um, the former Ajax boss, the one after um, the, the Manchester United manager. Uh, God, I'm forgetting his name right now. Um, but Alfred uh, Schroeder was in talks. Ten Hag, thank you. Um Alfred Schroeder is in talks this week, but there was an alert today from Fabrizio that they stopped and will not be progressing any further. Um, Alfred went back to the Netherlands. Uh, obviously, I can't even, I want to laugh. Um, they were also linked with Steven Gerrard today. Um, Leeds fans, is this what you want? <laughs> Like Leeds ownership, is that really what you want? Look at his CV. Yeah, he won with Rangers, but he didn't do anything with Aston Villa other than get them out of a relegation spot and keep them at, what did we finish, 13th last year? God, and got sacked early on this Man, year. Man, he so, really hurt you. Yeah, no. I mean, I, was, I just don't – I can't believe he's in talks with another Premier League job. Um. But this, and I don't know if this is a rumor right now, but it should be. I think Ralph Hausenhutel would be a great signing for Leeds as as next manager. Um, you know, sort of similar style. I don't want to say style necessarily, but young teams in Southampton, right? This Leeds team is young. Um, sort of playing with little money, even though this Leeds team has now been invested in. 
um, which is weird why they fired Martian to begin with. But this Ralph Halston, who I think could do a really good job with this Leeds team and definitely keep them up. Um, but I just, I just, I want to hear your thoughts, and Steve, I'll pass it to you. But I don't understand how they haven't had anything lined up. That's abysmal management by their front office. Who does that? Who breaks your transfer record in January, spends, what, I think it was like 60, close to 60, 70 mil, like in total in January, and then fires them after, was it one game? I mean, and then and then you don't have anybody lined up. What are you doing, Leeds? What are you doing? So, I, I don't know. I, I It's so, I'm just trying to wrap my head around it, and it doesn't make any sense at all go ahead steve yeah i mean unless they are bleeding in scubala to kind of lead this team in the interim and actually giving him a chance at taking this job which i don't know if they are uh but i agree with you firings like the jesse marsh seems too early but generally when you feel like they are too early there's a little higher lined up not too far behind and we just haven't seen that uh, 2-0 loss against United pressures on for a coach or I think either a coach or you're like, hey, we're sticking with Scubala the rest of the way, um, relegation or not. And that's would be an interesting move. But I think they need to, whether it's that move or hiring a coach, you got to do it this week, honestly. Uh, this week, next week. A season's coming to an end, and you're a point above relegation, my friend. And you might be under it after this game against Everton. So, Leeds, get your shit together. Um, if it's not March, that's fine, but it's got to be somebody. Yeah, they are a mess right now. And what's ironic is that Jesse Marsh is now being heavily linked with the Southampton job. Um, if Marsh goes to Southampton and keeps them up while Leeds go down, that would be pretty embarrassing um, if you're a Leeds fan, that would definitely have you fuming. And again, just on my side of things, I just, I really don't understand it. Like you talked about the investment, the time, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, he at least deserved those next two games against Man U. I mean, that just seems so strange. Those like were massive, massive games. I mean, they got the result in the first one. Uh, it's just all, all so uh, just wild, very disjointed. Uh, well, we're going to go around the world. As we said in the intro, the Champions League is back. It is Valentine's Day, which we have some love going around, and there is some love for Champions League football on this podcast. We begin with PSG and Bayern Munich. And head-to-head, these two teams are close to a split in their matchup. Bayern have won five of those games, but PSG have just one more win to their name over the the Bavarian club with six wins. Most notably recently, Paris winning their quarterfinal matchup in 2021. However, Bayern fans will do well to remember that the head-to-head matchup that really mattered at the end of the day was that 2020 Champions League final victory over the Parisians, which gave them their sixth Champions League trophy. My goodness gracious. Uh, And the injury news, Messi and Mbappe, those are two names that almost everybody knows, yes. Uh, This week, they did make training, um, but speculation does remain over the involvement of those two superstars. Mbappe had initially been given an estimated three-week length of time to be out with an injury, um, but he could potentially, as it seems, feature in this pivotal first leg of the round of 16. And the same can be said 
for World Cup winner Lionel Messi. Uh, he missed a game with a thigh injury, um, but should be a pencil in to be starting. So obviously, keep your eyes open if they do make those starting lineups. But Bayern Munich are fighting on two fronts right now with the Bundesliga race as tight as it can be with Union Berlin, which I just want to make a quick side note. Union Berlin only got caught up. They only made their way up to the Bundesliga in 2019, and they've now already qualified for Europa League, and now they're second in the Bundesliga. That's just crazy. They're breathing down the champions' necks already. Can't believe it. Um, but my question for you, Brandon, is can Julian Nagelsmann actually handle the pressure of a marquee matchup like this in the middle of a neck-and-neck -neck horse race back home in Germany? Your thoughts if he can get it done against PSG this go-around? This this Bayern team is just too good. I think it's the question's more on if the Bayern team can handle it. I I don't think the coach matters all that much in this game. Um, it, it, not to change your question, but I think this Bayern team can handle PSG. Um, but on their day, with both teams playing at the max, I think PSG's a favorite. I, I wonder what the odds are. I didn't I didn't look, but um, yeah, Nagelsmann. Hopefully he can, but I think the the pressure is more on that the the Bayern team than it is on him. They're so good, and Sadio Mane, runner up for Player of the Year, um, I, last year. I think he's going to have to have a, a big role to play in, in this matchup. This first leg is in Paris, so I don't know if that's going to affect. Byron all that much, especially now that they, they got away with the, the way goals rule, which I wish they kept because I love that part of it. Um, but this it's going to be an amazing matchup. I think Byron will be fired up and ready, though. Steven, he picked out Sadio Mane. Is there a player on either PSG or Byron that sticks out to you that's going to probably be a difference maker in this round of 16 matchup? Um. Yeah, I mean, it's the guys, like you said, the the injury-doubting Mbappe and uh, Messi, right? Uh, Nagelsmann giving a quote earlier, I think last week, of, oh, like, do you think Mbappe's going to play? And he kind of laughed it off. He's like, Mbappe's playing in this game. So some head games maybe trying to play with the Bayern boss. He's, again, I'm kind of with Brandon. I don't think Bayern's really worried about the whole PSG pressure. Bayern wins their league every year. They've won the Champions League last time against PSG. Um, and I think they're the better team, uh, regardless of their struggles domestically. Uh, I'm taking Bayern, and no one trusts it. Death taxes and PSG uh, bowing out in the Champions League when asked the most <laughs> of, right? So uh, you're smart to bet on Bayern, uh, regardless of domestic form. Um, case, case in point, also... PSG got eliminated out of the Coupe de France recently, um, kind of embarrassingly. So it's not like things are swimmingly for them right now. Drama with Neymar and Luis Campos, the director of uh, sporting director of PSG. Wild stuff going into this tie. I my money's on Bayern. I don't really care about the star power of PSG. Mbappe's great, sure, but they just haven't put it together yet. Um, so yes, sorry for the ramble, but. My money is on Nagelsmann, uh, Bayern to be a well-oiled machine, ready to go to Paris and get a result. Great. Yeah, no worries on the railing. That's good. Let's just not forget that Bayern also got better in January. They got Jao Cancelo from Man City. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's just an incredible pickup. That's nothing to blink an eye at. So 
they're only getting stronger, and it seems like Messi and Mbappe might be held together by duct tape and glue. So definitely uh, going to be an intriguing matchup. But Steven, kick us off. Tottenham are in the Champions League after their disappointing handling against Leicester City. They're taking on AC Milan. Uh, what is this matchup shaping up to look like? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So this is the battle of the teams that are so excited to be playing tomorrow, right? Uh, they want to forget about their domestic <laughs> form. It doesn't exist. Uh, both these teams not convincing whatsoever in Syria for AC Milan and Tottenham. Some Champions League fans are looking at the games this week and going, Tottenham? AC Milan? In the knockout stages? Um, but I'm excited. Uh, these teams and the histories that they have before, they have played four total times, taught them two wins, two draws against AC Milan, uh, both in UEFA competitions, most recently, and I believe in 2011, taught them got a draw uh, and a win, 1-0, over AC Milan to knock them out of the round of 16 last time. So that's exciting, over the two legs. And then back in 1972, let me paint a picture for you. Tottenham winning trophies. Now stay with me. Uh, yes, Tottenham <laughs> eliminated AC Milan in the semifinals of the then UEFA, um, I think the UEFA Cup is all it was called, um, more of a terminate bracket style kind of system. Tottenham would go on to beat AC Milan with the same results, 1-0 and then a nil-nil draw. Uh, to go on to face Wolves in the final of 1972. Wolverhampton, shout out, to which Tottenham would win uh, the UEFA Cup final. So we have, See, we have won European trophies. Yes, we have. <laughs> we have. So it's just been a minute. Um, yes, so Tottenham fans are hoping the repeat of history uh, have not lost against AC Milan. Again, both these teams look abysmal. Um, close your eyes, count to 10, spin around, pick a team. Um, that's how confident I am, but who knows? Could be exactly what uh, Tottenham needs. Could be exactly what uh, 41-year-old substitute Zlatan Ibrahimovic needs uh, for Milan. Who knows? That's the state of these two teams. One has a 41-year-old on the bench, and then the others, we're talking, anyways. It's going to be a great game. (laughs) Brandon, what else is intriguing in Champions League this week? (laughs) Um... (laughs) I can't follow that up, man. Are you kidding me? Um, hopefully <laughs> Tottenham wins one nothing and then draws 0-0 so they go through. Because um, what did I say at the beginning of the season? Quarterfinals? Semifinal run? What did I say? You said semifinal You said run. semifinal. Hey, high on They're built for tournaments. They're built for tournaments. Um, but no, Club <laughs> Bruges is playing Ben Fika this week. Um, these two teams have actually never played each other in any tournaments. Um, Club Bruges did finish second in their group, losing that top spot on the last day. Um, Benfica did finish atop of their group above PSG, uh, not on goal differential, but on the head-to-head matchup. So it was that close in that group, but that just shows how good Benfica actually is. Um, a little update on Club Bruges, where they're at in their domestic league. They currently sit fourth in the Belgian Pro League with their last five games being draw, draw, win, draw, draw. Um, Benfica, the shining star. I mean, they 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 always surprise me, man. Always. They are so good. 
Um, and even after selling Enzo Fernandez, I'm, I'm sure they're still going to stay flying. Um, they are at the top of Liga Portugal with their last five games being win, 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 draw. So they're flying. They were flying in the Champions League uh, in the, the pool play. Um, it's it's going to be an exciting matchup. I don't necessarily have any questions other than how good is this Benfica team and can they be a dark horse this year? Cole. Uh, was it Porto last year that was in that deep run the Champions League, I want to say? So it just seems like sure. we're slayed to have another Portuguese team to make another deep run. Um, yeah, I mean, why not, right? Uh, Enzo Fernandez or not, they seem like they are ready to take on the Champions League once again. And Bruges is not really going to be one of those teams that's going to – I don't want to be me, but like they're not going to put up the same fight um, that we know Benfica is capable of overcoming. So, yeah, at least the quarterfinals, why not? Benfica, someone has to advance. I'm definitely going to take Benfica over Club Bruges. Um, and why not stay hot at the right time? A club like them can definitely get it done. Um, yeah, I'm taking Benfica. That's right. I said it. Um, but I want to look at Chelsea and Dortmund. They've never played each other in their entire history of these two teams existing. These guys have been around a while, and they've never seen each other play. And they're getting it in the round of 16 in the Champions League. Uh, Dortmund, they finished second in their group behind Man City. Chelsea, a little surprisingly, finished top of their group. That's not what you would be thinking, considering where they're at in the league right now. Uh, well, Dortmund, they sit third in the Bundesliga, uh, winning their last five whole games. Uh, Chelsea, on the other hand, are 10th in the Premier League. Not so good. Uh, but I'm wondering, Stephen, will Graham Potter change the Blues lingering over West London and improve Chelsea's standing by let's just set aside the, champ the, the Premier League for a little bit and look to Europe? Can he really do that with this Chelsea squad against Borussia Dortmund? Um, absolutely. I think so. Uh, again, it almost feels like Champions League and Premier League, it's two separate entities. You have the twilight zone of Tottenham being in the round of 16 and, or Chelsea also being in the round of 16. They have Chelsea in 10th place over here. So that's, I mean, that's the pitch I'd be giving if I'm, if I'm Potter, it's, Hey guys, we just won this tournament. We can win it again. Look at all this talent we have in this locker room. Let's battle for one another. Come on, let's go. Um, I, I think he can, I think Graham Potter can beat Dortmund. Um, I think he should, to be frank as well. Um, his job isn't on the line whatsoever. However, he's got to this. He wants to win this game. You know, he, he's been invested in and results speak volumes. Uh, this kind of gives him uh, an excuse for domestic performance. If he goes out and shows up against Dortmund, he knows that something to get the fans excited about at Stamford Bridge as well. Um, I think they can get it done if he can pick an 11 out of the 22 first team quality players, uh, then I think just the right way, I think uh, they could come across with a win. Yeah. Who has the edge, Brandon, in your opinion? Oof. Um, Chelsea. It's got to be Chelsea. Uh, they love this tournament. They love this competition. Um, and yeah, if I think they get knocked out, Graham Potter's fired immediately. I don't think there's any questions. I don't even think Graham Potter has to show up the next day. I think he'll see it in the news. Um, he is not on the hot seat necessarily, but this Chelsea team has the players 
for Champions League. Yeah. Yes. They they ha- they have to perform. He has to perform. Um. So, I and I think they will. I think I think they will beat um, Dortmund here, but or just overall, I don't know how it's going to happen. But I he has to because he's not getting top four in the Premier League this year. I think that's very clear. So the only way to get it next year is by winning the Champions League tournament, which, again, I don't think is unrealistic that this Chelsea team could do that. They have to put it together, go on a run in a tournament. Tournament football is different. And I think they could do it. So it starts now. And Dortmund's not a, not a slouch, so it's going to be a tough matchup. Um, but I think Grand Potter's job is actually on the line with this matchup. Wow. I hadn't even given that any consideration, to be honest. I thought yeah, there was some talk this week, I think, about him being okay regardless. But, hey, I'll, I'll take your word for it. I would, that would be crazy to see. That would be really crazy to see. Well, the Champions League, always our favorite. So excited to have it back. I just can't wait for more of the Champions League animated series on Bleach Report. That's honestly always my favorite thing about Champions League. Uh, but the FIFA Club World Cup just finished this past week. Real Madrid handling Al-Halal 5-3 in the final, establishing them as the best team in the world as by these tournaments uh, as they go. We have the She Believes Cup kicking off this week. The U.S., Japan, Brazil, and Canada vying for a trophy before the trophy of the World Cup, which, as we say, kicks off in July. So look out Thursday night, February 16th. Japan and Brazil take on each other. And then later that night, the United States the United States takes on Canada at 7 p.m. And then that Sunday, we have the United States and Japan at 3.30. And then later that night, Brazil takes on Canada at 6.30. So if you want to watch the She Believes Cup getting ready for the Women's World Cup, you don't want to miss it this week going on and as something we're excited about really really excited about the mls jersey should be revealing this week and we want to make sure that we have some content to go aside that and the season only kicks off on the 25th of february so things are really getting going for major league soccer we'll definitely be following all those developments and things that you want to see probably be looking out for a kit video for you guys listeners and viewers and that's going to bring us to our final segment. You betcha, our chance to give our locks on different games, saying things that we believe hopefully come true. And remember, we're amateur betters. This is not betting advice, so do not go anything like what we're saying. Steven, you're going to get us started with your lock on the week. What are the odds and who are you taking? I'm un super excitingly. I'm taking Arsenal uh, on the money line against Manchester City. Um, on Wednesday this week, it's plus 190 for Arsenal. I'll say this week, Premier League-wise, the money lines aren't great. The matchups are difficult, like we were talking about with the Brighton-Fulham game, case in point. But I see a number one team playing at home. I see plus 190? Um, it's, uh, they're drawing me in, and I'm, and I'm going for the bait. Um, yeah, so you can lock in that bet. 190 Arsenal at home. Um, I think it's very possible that they can get a win out of this game. I think it's going to be a draw potentially, but like Brandon said, he doesn't think it's going to be a draw, which works out for me. This is the classic thing of what you think is going to happen. What does your heart say? I'm feeling that Mm. Arsenal gets a big result maybe at home. Um, I think it could happen. 
Uh, so Arsenal seems to be on fire this year. They're first in the league. I got to give them respect. They're playing Manchester City. But if Tottenham can beat them, maybe another North London team can. So, uh, yeah. Arsenal, 190 on the money line. Don't know how confident I sound to you all. You might want to take uh, my compatriots bets over here. But, yeah, that's what I'm going with this week. <laughs> Brandon, what's your bet looking like? Anything like Steve's? <laughs> well, I went and saw – I got my palm read this week, and, and, and the lady told me that Newcastle was a lock plus 140 to beat Liverpool, and I said, thank you. I'm going to use that in the podcast. So uh, I'm going to take that. You know, they've, they've drawn the last three and are due for a victory. Um, they're back at home. And they do not lose games, people. This is the best defense in the league. So I just don't think Liver I don't think Liverpool are, are good enough to get a win against Newcastle, to be completely honest. Um I was gonna say some earlier some stuff earlier about Liverpool, but Cole didn't pass it to me, so I'm pissed. But um I'm getting them back here with this. I think Newcastle's gonna win it. So it's either gonna be a draw or a win, but I'm gonna stick with a win because the fortune teller told me so. Yes. Was it Madame Zeroni? Was that yeah. who your fortune teller was? Yeah, or the Wicked Witch of the <laughs> West, like... I think. I don't know. <laughs> That's a whole reference for you people out there. Uh, my luck on the week. I'm looking at that Dortmund-Chelsea matchup that we just covered. Grand Potter having to go to Germany. Um, I really think it's going to be a good matchup. Like we talked about, Dortmund's on good form. Um, Grand Potter has a lot of work cut out for him. So that's where I'm going to land in the middle at a draw for the two clubs. That's coming in at plus 235. I feel pretty comfortable with that. I don't think that, you know, Chelsea's going to come in and shock the world, you know, landing a 3-0 win or anything like that. And Dortmund, you know, they still have to play against Chelsea. So, like, there are kind of a real head-to-head matchup going on. I think they're going to meet um, in the middle. And that's why I'm going to take the draw on that one. And that's going to mean that we are at the end of our episode, episode 57 of the supporter section. Another conclusion reached. And we hope you enjoyed our time together on the show today. Uh, if you've made it this far, if you're new, go ahead and leave a like, a comment, and subscribe if you have not already. Um, it's been a pleasure so far. And for myself and the guys, I've been Cole Carter. They've been Stephen Curl and Brandon Patesnick. Enjoy the Champions League. We hope you're having a wonderful Valentine's Day. If you're single, enjoy the soccer. You'll be fine. I'll be fine. We're all okay. Um, but until the next one, everybody, peace out and enjoy the week. We'll see you.